You're about to listen to Office Hours with me, Georgia Howe. This is a weekly companion series to PragerU's popular five-minute videos, where I explore various political and cultural topics with PragerU experts, asking questions and digging deeper to bring you perspectives that you may not hear in a traditional college classroom. To watch the video version of this series, click on the link in the description or go to dailywire.com. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm Georgia Howe with The Daily Wire. Today, we sit down with author, research professor, and executive director of the Clemson Institute for the Study of Capitalism, Dr. C. Bradley Thompson. His new PragerU video is titled, John Adams, Founder and Second President, where he examines the life of the founding father and second U.S. president that Thomas Jefferson referred to as our colossus on the floor. Some say John Adams' rousing speech to the Continental Congress on July 1st, 1776, is what finalized the Founding Fathers' decision for American independence. Let's jump right in. Brad, thank you so much for joining me. Great to be with you, Georgia. So my biggest reaction to your video after watching it was uh, feeling like I've been underappreciating John Adams this whole time. In the video, you shared a really great quote. Let's take a look at that real quick. Fortune was never his aim. Creating a new, better, freer country than the world had ever known was all that he cared about. As one delegate to the Continental Congress said, the man to whom the country is most indebted for the great measure of independence is Mr. John Adams. So what was John Adams' unique contribution to the American Revolution? I would say that if George Washington um, were the sword of the American Revolution and Thomas Jefferson the pen, I would say that John Adams was the engine of the American Revolution. No founding father um, was as important in conveying the ideas of the American Revolution as was John Adams. And I don't think any other revolutionary contributed as much politically to the American Revolution uh, as did Adams. From the very beginning of the conflict between Great Britain and the American colonies, beginning in 1765, Adams threw himself into the Patriot cause, and, and he was uh, America's uh, leading revolutionary right up until the very end uh, of the revolution. Nobody dedicated as much to the cause of the revolution, I think, than did John Adams. So were Adams' ideas completely new, or were they kind of a synthesis of pre-existing ideas? Well, they were both. They were partly um, a reflection of the political ideas of the English political philosopher John Locke, as applied to the situation of the imperial crisis during the 1760s and 1770s. But Adams also made, I think, unique contributions to revolutionary ideas. In his 1774 pamphlet, The Novanglis Letters, he laid out an entirely new revolutionary theory about the relationship between the American colonies and the mother country. And that theory completely reoriented the way that American patriots thought about their relationship with the mother country. So I know a lot of the American revolutionary ideas come from um, you know, John Locke and some other thinkers, but they also come from uh, theological arguments. So did he, was he a religious man or did he marry those two together? Or um, wh where, what would you say contributed most? 
I'd say it was a combination, although it changed over time. So Adams was the son of uh, Puritans. He was trained to go into the ministry, but during his years at Harvard, um, between 1751 and 1755, he was introduced to the ideas of the Enlightenment, particularly the ideas of Sir Isaac Newton's Principia Mathematica and John Locke's essay concerning human understanding. And with those new ideas, Adams rethought his relationship with uh, his Calvinist roots. Adams did remain um, uh, a churchgoer throughout his entire life. But I would say that Adams was in many ways very close to being a deist, although he had profound respect uh, for the Calvinism uh, of his forebears and of the American people uh, at the time in which he lived. You mentioned that John Adams would sometimes fight bitterly with other founding fathers like Washington and Jefferson. What were some of the most consequential disputes between them? Well, he didn't have many disagreements, I think, with George Washington, but he certainly did with Thomas Jefferson. But those developments, um, those that conflict really only uh, developed in the late 1780s when Adams was living in London, England, and Jefferson was living in Paris, France. And at the time, uh, Jefferson was coming under the Svengali-like sway of uh, French philosophers at that time. And Jefferson became a radical Democrat, whereas Adams uh, was a believer in the idea of mixed and balanced government. That is to say, he believed that, um, that a just Republican government should combine the one, the few, and the many, by which I mean every government should have some kind of monarchical element. And in the case of the United States, it would be in the form of the president. It should have some kind of aristocratic element. And in the case of the United States, it was in the form of the Senate. And it should have a democratic element, which in the context of the United States was in the House of Representative, Representatives. So Adams, um, Adams, I think, had a much more sophisticated view of human nature and the way it should be institutionalized in government. That's interesting that you use the word aristocratic. So were senators historically supposed to come from a certain class of society? Is that the meaning of the term you mean? Not in the American context. So Jefferson's, um, or I should say Adams's use of the concept aristocracy was not the traditional um, 18th century European understanding of aristocracy. It was an American understanding, which was for Adams and for Jefferson, it was the idea of the natural aristocracy, that the, that the men of talent, ability, education, and wisdom should rise to the top and that they would be the natural rulers of society. And they would be rising through democratic means. Yes. And so that contrasts with Jefferson's vision, which was more heavy on direct democracy? Is that what you were suggesting? Yes. And during the 1790s, Jefferson also became a fan of the French Revolution. And this is another major difference between Jefferson and Adams. Adams was opposed to the French Revolution, absolutely opposed to the terror associated with it. And he was opposed to all of the underlying ideas behind the French Revolution, such as the ideas of the French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Whereas Jefferson, on the other hand, by the 1790s, uh, 93, 94, Jefferson himself became uh, a defender, remarkably, uh, of the terror, of the French uh, terror during the revolution. 
Um, eventually, over time, Jefferson came to repudiate those views, but there was a period in the 1790s when Adams and Jefferson barely spoke to one another, and it was largely over the French Revolution. And was sort of Jefferson's draw to um, the French Revolution the idea of equality? Is that what kind of was interesting to him? Yeah, it, I think it was it was the idea of equality. And Jefferson, in certain ways, adopted a new view of history. Jefferson saw the uh, the idea of progress as something that was built into history, that mankind uh, was moving toward a progressively better future. John Adams, by contrast, had a view of human nature that suggested, yes, human knowledge could increase over time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that human nature itself will progress over time, which is what Jefferson believed. That's kind of interesting in terms of today. I think of, it sounds like John Adams would be more reflective of what we would consider contemporarily like the right wing versus Jefferson, it sounds like, would resonate more with what we're describing as left wing right now, just in that particular regard. Is that correct? I think that's somewhat fair. You know, the but idea Jeff of progressing. Yeah, yes, correct. Um, but we have to remember that Thomas Jefferson was the author of the Declaration of Independence. Sure. Jefferson was the author of the of, of the idea that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, among which are the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Jefferson believed in limited constitutional government. Um, so in many ways, uh, Jefferson is the intellectual forefather of uh, modern libertarianism. But Jefferson did have these other views that we can bracket off to the side, mm -hmm. uh, which I think were more democratic and, and potentially more troubling. So you recently published a book called America's Revolutionary Mind, A Moral History of the American Revolution and the Declaration that Defined It. So what did you mean by the American Revolutionary Mind? Well, what I was trying to do was trying to get a sense of, of how the, mat, the majority of Americans thought in 1776 and how they transitioned their ideas from the 1760s up until 1776. So in my view, the American mind can be summed up in the principles of the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration lays out four self-evident truths which can be summed up in one word each, equality, rights, consent, revolution. Those four concepts, I think, establish uh, the core philosophic ideas of the American Revolution. And those were the ideas, with the exception of the loyalists, of course, that all Americans brought into, uh, bought into and fought a war over. Were those ideas that were kind of bubbling up sort of on a grassroots level, or was that something that uh, thinkers like Jefferson and Adams were kind of spreading around to kind of sell people on? Well, what's remarkable, I think, about the American Revolution is that the most advanced revolutionary ideas summed up in the Declaration of Independence were held not only by people like Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, but those ideas percolated down and through American culture as a whole. And so you can find mechanics in New York City or Philadelphia or farmers, uneducated, hardscrabble farmers in Western Massachusetts, all of whom held the same ideas. They were all readers of John Locke's Second Treatise of Government, which really laid out the philosophic blueprint of the American Revolution. 
So do you feel like Americans collectively today are still characterized by some of these American, by the American revolutionary mind? Or do you feel like we've kind of separated from that over time? That's a hard question. Um, and it's probably true to say that over the course of the last 120 years or so, um, a segment of the American population has drifted away from those ideas and in some cases come to reject those ideas. So beginning uh, in the late 19th century, you had, I, you had uh, thinkers who were beginning to question and challenge the principles of the Declaration. And with the launch of the progressive movement in the early 20th century, a small segment of American population did reject those principles. And over the course of time, those uh, philosophic principles um, around the idea of progressivism have come to seep into American culture. I would say, however, that in 2021, there is still a majority of Americans who do believe in the revolutionary principles of 1776. Although it's also true to say that never in American history have there been um, more people who have also opposed those ideas um, and in very public ways. Do you have any predictions going forward about, I mean, it's, it feels as though we are kind of bifurcating as a culture. Do you have any predictions going forward, kind of informed by your knowledge of history about how we may progress as a country in that, in that regard? Well, I'm a teacher of young men and women. As a college professor, I have to believe that the future of this country is hopeful uh, and, and is bright. So yes, we are engaged in a battle of ideas at this time, but I do believe that in the end, long-term, the truth will win out. It may not happen tomorrow, but, it, it, but the truth eventually will win. A lot of Daily Wire fans are also big fans of the Founding Fathers, but I think some of us would like to learn more. Do you have any recommendations for kind of fun and engaging books that people might be interested in? Sure. Well, there are a number of wonderful biographies of America's founding fathers. So I would say that David McCullough's famous selling biography of John Adams is a, is a wonderful read. Bernard Balin's The Ideological Origins of the American Revolution and Gordon Wood's uh, The Creation of the American Republic are two of the best books of the post-World War II era on the American Revolution. And of course, I'd like to add America's Revolutionary Mind to that list as well. All right. Well, where can people find you online? Well, they can find me at cbradleythompson.com, which is my website. Um, but they can also find me on my Substack, which is cbradleythompson.substack.com, where I write as the redneck intellectual and I publish a weekly column um, on current uh, moral, cultural and political events. All right. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining me. Well, thank you very much, Georgia. And that's the end of today's Office Hours. Make sure to tune in next week for our conversation with a new PragerU presenter. I'm Georgia Howe. Thanks for tuning in. As a reminder, if you'd like to see the video version of this show, or if you haven't seen this week's PragerU five-minute video, make sure to click on the link in the description below or head over to dailywire.com. We'll see you next Monday for a new interview with another PragerU presenter. Music.